Someone once said, we can only see how wonderful Good Friday is when we see how terrible it is. And the language of betrayal and rejection, of mockery and deceit, of scheming and envy, of cruelty and torture is everywhere. All circling around Jesus, focusing in on him. And the question that rings out across these chapters in Matthew's account of the Passion story is the one asked by Pilate, just over, if you just look over in chapter 27, verse 22. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? That was Pilate's question on that awful day, but a question for us all, right down through the centuries. Because Pilate's dilemma lives on in all of us. What shall I do with Jesus? And I want us to keep coming back to that question as we look at these chapters together. Keep coming back to what this question means for us today. How this affects us, how we personally respond to Jesus and how we allow this momentous event in the history of the world to change us. What shall we do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? And here in the first of our readings, we have two men, two friends, two betrayals and yet two very different destinies, Simon Peter And Judas Iscariot both renounced Jesus, betrayed him actually in the most terrible way in that night before his crucifixion. Judas was convicted and filled with remorse, but only Peter turned his remorse into repentance. In many ways, Judas was the most promising of all the disciples. For a start, he was the only pure Judean among 11 second-rate Jews from Galilee of the Gentiles. He was also obviously a good administrator, chosen even over the former tax collector Matthew to to look after the group's finances. A very trustworthy position. But we find out soon enough that he had his own agenda. And maybe like many, he believed Jesus was going to be a future leader of an armed uprising against the uh, the Roman oppression. And as it became increasingly clear to him that this was not Jesus' agenda, He became enveloped in a creeping but overwhelming disappointment. This meek and humble Messiah was not what he'd signed up for. And one other motive we're made aware of, very aware of in this passage, is not only his disappointment, but his greed. He went to the chief priests, we're told, in verse 14. In other words, he sought them out. They didn't come to him. He sought them out and asked them, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? And the next phrase is very telling. So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. And you can almost see, imagine Judas' eyes widening as the coins land one by one, counted out in his outstretched hand. Greed had become a driving force in his life. And so, following Jesus' triumphal but strange entry into Jerusalem on a donkey, and that utterly wasteful use of expensive perfume that Jesus sanctioned, Judas, it seems, can bear it no longer. He pays a secret visit to the chief priests of the temple, agreeing to betray Jesus into their hands for this lump sum of 30 pieces of silver. Ironically, 
the value, according to Exodus 21, of the life of a slave. And so at the next opportunity, he leads the chief priests and soldiers to the Garden of Gethsemane, verse 47, where they find Jesus alone. That's what they need. They need Jesus away from the crowds. And there Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss as a final, poignant, terrible act of treachery. But poor Judas, as soon as he'd sold out, he knew he'd messed up in a big way. And we later see in chapter 27 that as soon as he realized the true impact of what he'd done, he was filled with remorse and regret. And he tried desperately to undo the deal and return the silver, but to no avail. And so in utter despair, we will read how he ties a rope round a tree and hangs himself. Filled with remorse, he didn't dare to look for forgiveness in the one place he could have found it. And Peter, Peter also betrays Jesus. But there the similarity ends. His betrayal was out of cowardice rather than disillusionment or greed. At this point in the story, Peter was a brash and rather overconfident young man. Hence, his extravagant claims at the end of the Last Supper. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Verse 35. But just look on to verse 57. Those who'd arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest, He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. And we, of course, know the outcome for him. He'd followed Jesus, maybe confused, bewildered, just wanting to stay somewhere near. And then what happens? The servant girl says to him, you were also with Jesus of Galilee. And he hotly denies it. Faced with the prospect of ending up with the same fate as his master, he denies him three times to simply, simply to save his own skin. And as morning dawns, he remembers Jesus' words. Before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. And those next few days must have been a living nightmare for Peter as he realized what he'd done. But the difference between Judas and him is that he turned his bitter tears of regret and remorse into tears of repentance and faith. And we all read on Sunday, on Easter Sunday, how he ran to the empty tomb. And later how he jumped eagerly into the lake, desperate to get to Jesus again. And he found that place of forgiveness and restoration and his life changed forever. You see, Judas ran away, but Peter ran towards. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it like this. There is a difference between remorse and repentance. The person who hasn't repented, who is only experiencing remorse, when they realize that they've done something against God, they avoid him. They try to get away from God, to avoid him at all costs. See, Judas ran away from Jesus instead of to Jesus. He didn't turn his remorse into repentance. You know, he refused to believe that the Messiah he'd betrayed in the garden that night might possibly return his kiss of betrayal with a loving kiss of forgiveness. And he stayed in that place of self-pity and self-accusation rather than coming to that place of grace. 
You see, regret and remorse are very different from repentance. Repentance is actually something much more positive and active. It, it means to turn around and to turn towards, knowing that first and foremost, we have offended God. We need his forgiveness. We turn to him. It isn't enough just to feel convicted of sin. Even Judas Iscariot felt that. We have to combine conviction with faith in the love of Christ and the promise and the power of the cross. And only this sort of faith can change regret and remorse into repentance and freedom. And Peter and Judas were both betrayers, but only one of them had the faith that led to salvation. And so we come back to our question, Pilate's question. What shall we do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? When we've messed up, when we've done wrong, when we've followed our own agenda, when we've, yes, denied him or failed him, maybe miserably, do we run from him or do we run to him? Have we learned how to turn our remorse and our regrets into true repentance? Do we know what it is to genuinely confess our wrongdoing rather than simply feel bad about our sin? Have we learned how to bring our shame and sorrow to the foot of the cross and find that extraordinary gift of freedom from guilt and the promise of new life? Have we experienced, because this is what Jesus promises, that wonderful kiss of forgiveness that we know we don't deserve and we certainly haven't earned? What shall we do with Jesus? Shall we come to him again?